Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. So the book, Letting Go of Good, Dispel the Myth of Goodness to Find Your Genuine Self, is out. It came out yesterday. We're really excited about it. We're going to be talking about it today some more. And today we're really going to explain how a person might just really finally dispel that myth, how they might actually begin to live from the genuine self, discover how to stop living from guilt, from trying to be good, and learn how to get real. Learn to use your personal powers, powers that are inherent to your very nature, to handle relationships, both personal and professional, genuinely and with appropriate boundaries. Learn how we develop trust. You don't want to miss this important show, so stay here all day. Not all day, all for the rest of the show. Um, Yeah, so we have talked, we've had four different shows to sort of um, launch the book, and we have talked about the lies. We've talked about some of the lies that we have been taught by society that have been um, put forth as uh, ultimate truths. And we've learned uh, just a few of those. There's more of those in the book. Um, and we have said that those lies keep us stuck in guilt and in, in the good guy identity. And so if you want to hear more about those shows, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to those first three shows, uh, the first show, Letting Go of Good, and then Letting Go of Good Part 2, Letting Go of Good Part 3, and then, of course, today's show is Part 4. So uh, those lies, that we, when we recognize them finally as lies, we begin to integrate the truth of of our real our truer nature when we begin to see a lie for a lie we begin to understand the truth and that's a piece of what we've been doing is and what the book will help uh, individuals who read it to do is to to look at reality to get out of illusion and look at realities because living in the good guy identity is living in an illusion the illusion is that if i work really really hard i will finally feel worthy I will finally feel like I'm a worthy person. The reason that's an illusion is that the idea of unworthiness is an illusion. All of us are worthy. We've already been told in the Christian Bible and several other of the uh, texts of the of the sacred texts of the world that we are just a little bit lower than God. That we are uh, we, we're given dominion over the earth. That we are, uh, we are given the great powers to heal other ourselves and other people. We we have these capacities because we're worthy. We're wor- just as worthy. Uh, I use this analogy a lot, and I use it in the book as well. We're just as worthy as that acorn who grow that grows up to be a, a oak tree. That that it does not need to compare itself to a pine tree and say, "Gosh, I wish I could create pine cones." No, it just grows up into what it is, what it was predetermined to be by the very fact that it's an acorn. So we were, as humans, we we are here, and the very fact that we are here is a statement of our worthiness. And that alone is enough. There's so many people out there who tell us that we have to have a purpose. This is one of the lies I talk about in the book, that we have to have a purpose. And I have clients who come to see me uh, frequently who tell me, 
I need I need to know what my purpose is. I've been searching and searching for my purpose, and I just can't find what my purpose is. And therefore, I don't feel like I'm worthy. Now, they don't say it that way, but that's ultimately what they get to when we really define the conversation. So what they're saying is that until I can find the reason I'm here, I'm not really sure that I deserve to be here. And that's just so false. That's the, that's the lie we've been taught, that we have to have a purpose. The purpose of our lives is to live. That's it. The purpose of our lives is to live. And the more fully and more alive we live, the more we're fulfilling what we came here to do. So we came here to live. And so living fully, living to our fullest potential is what is possible for us. If that's what we want, we can certainly go after it. Um, But trying to live into some kind of noble purpose, like I'm supposed to serve other people. I've literally had people say that to me. I know that I'm here to be a healer. Um, um, and basically what, when they say that, what they mean is, that's not to mean that people can't be healers. I certainly agree that people can be healers, but, but what they mean is they've identified with the healer archetype because it makes them feel worthy. And so that's a way of formulating into a good guy identity. So this idea that we have to have a purpose is false. We are worthy already. And when we look at that lie and go, okay, that's a lie then we can begin to assimilate the truth, which is that I'm already worthy. I don't have to strive for it. I don't have to go after it. There's no code that's going to get me there. There's no standardized form of goodness that's going to get me there because there is no such thing as a standardized form of goodness because goodness is different for every family and many times for every individual in a family. It's different for every culture. It's different for every religion. So goodness cannot be defined in any terms that everyone understands. So even if you make rules and say, okay, let's don't kill, for example, you still have reasons to kill. War is a reason to kill. Somebody breaking into your home is a reason to kill. Sometimes if you get really mad enough because they've been unjust enough, we think that's a reason to kill. There's lots of times when we, when we break the rule and think we're justified in doing so. So that's not a way to, to formulate goodness either. Um, so how, what do we know is good? We can't. So if I rob you of that, if I robbed, if I came in, into your mind and took that whole idea of goodness out, what would be left? Well, the idea of truth or falseness would be left. And that's what we're trying to get to with this book, that something can be true or something can be false. And if we can look, find the truth, then we can live into the truth. We don't have to live into to, um, the concept of goodness because it is just a social construct. That's all it is. It's all it ever was, just a social construct. We can't live into something that's an an illusion, and that's what it is. A social construct is just an idea we made up, and we live into it as if it's the only truth. So people who are trying so hard to be good that they forget to be real are missing the boat. And the reason that that's difficult for them is because they're often trying to rule their lives by guilt. So guilt says... You have to do this or I'm going to make you feel really bad later. And we go, okay, I'll do it. I don't want to have to feel really bad later. So I don't, you know. And when, when, when people who are run by guilt don't comply with the guilt orders, they do feel really bad. Sometimes for days or even weeks after whatever it is that they were, thought they were supposed to do didn't happen. So 
uh, I've literally had people come in to see me and say, I didn't go shopping with my mother this weekend. I just didn't want to do that, and I feel so bad, and I just have been worrying about it for three days and wondering what she thinks and wondering how I'm going to live with that. And just It's just awful. I can't stand this feeling. And that's that's what guilt does. And the reason it's gotten that strong in that person's life is because they have obeyed it again and again and again and again and again. And so every time we obey guilt, it gets stronger. But when we stop obeying guilt, it begins slowly to get weaker. And it is a process. We do have to walk through the guilt. We do have to be able to be brave enough to say, okay, I know you're lying to me. And every time you come up, I'm going to tell you that you're lying to me. We have to be brave. We have to take that first brave risk. But uh, once we've done that, then we can begin to, to, to let, allow guilt to be let go of. And it becomes not the ruler of our lives. Yes, it may still have some voice, but it's not definitely not the chairman of the board. There's that voice along with several other voices now. So in a, dis, differentiation is a process that we have to go through to get to wholeness. And integration is a process that we have to get to. Differentiation says what's true and what's false. The integration says I'm going to integrate the truth. I'm going to allow myself to become that truth. I'm going to allow myself to let that truth be a part of my actions and reactions on planet Earth. So that's when we integrate the truth. So that that piece is really important for us to understand. This whole book is about how to differentiate and then how to integrate. And that's, that's important for you to understand about what this book is going to teach, that it really does help us to understand that we don't have to live in guilt. We, we can live from our genuine self. So, okay, let's talk a little bit. We've talked about the so-called negative feelings and how we can work with those to integrate those uh, and, and allow them to become a messenger to us, for us, and about us that has to do with how we can... Uh, uh, use those messages like, for example, anger can be useful in drawing boundaries. Fear can be used to help us slow down and look around and see what's going on. Um, sorrow changes us, transforms us deep within because when we allow the sorrow to just be there, it begins to open our hearts and the heart chakra begins to open and we begin to allow um, ourselves into the depths of our, our deepest self. So it's transformative and resentment can tell us that we're not... Uh, we're doing a whole lot of things that that aren't really authentic to us, and we're resenting the fact that we're having to do for others because of obligation and guilt, and we resent it, and we don't want to have to keep doing it. So we so we uh, we we be, begin to have that feeling of resentment, and the resentment has come from the authentic self to say, "Hey, stop doing all that stuff you don't really want to do. Start doing the things you really want to do." Of course, guilt will come up in response to that and say, "Yeah, but you you can't do that because that'll make you selfish." And, and what we can respond to that with is, um, it isn't selfish to be true to my authentic self. In fact, when I'm true to my authentic self, my truest compassion can come up, and then I will serve others out of compassion instead of have to, should, ought to. So we can begin to dialogue with these messages that come from, to us from the authentic self and begin to understand them and then thusly integrate them. But also our personal powers are important. And so we're going to spend a little time talking today about those personal powers. Um, the first of those is intuition. Now, there's a lot being said out there about intuition today. We're, we're hearing a lot about it. And we see on to de- detective shows and 
murder mysteries and all of that, that we, we see that detectives are starting to use their intuition and, and that they can trust it. And they're calling it their gut. I have a gut feeling. NCIS is uh, based on uh, Jethro's ability to use his gut, and that's one of his main attributes that he uses. So we, we see this a lot on, on TV, and we see it on social media memes, and we see it out there. I'm not sure we fully understand it. A lot of times people get uh, in, uh, intuition mixed up with instinct. Instinct is biological. We all, for example, have a survival instinct. The instinct to survive says, I'm going uh, to survive this moment. So if somebody t- throws something at us, that might hurt us, we duck. That's a biological instinct to survive, and the body performs accordingly. And it, it happens before we even register what's really going on intellectually. It just happens out of instinct, out of physical, biological instinct. Intuition, on the other hand, is not um, a lot the same as instinct. It is um, a gentle knowing. It's just something we know. We know that we know it, and we can uh, operate on that knowing and we can trust that what we know is true because it comes with some sometimes it comes with certain feelings sometimes it just comes with a gentle certainty that we just know this it's just a fact and we just know it so uh, intuition is that gentle knowing and it can tell us what's going on in a room we can walk into a room and feel the feelings that are going on in a room. Or we can walk into a room and sense that somebody just said something ugly to somebody else. And we just feel it. We walk into the room and, ugh, there it is. And we have that intuitive ability to do that. It's a little like empathy, and that empathy can pick up the feelings in a room as well. But intuition comes with a gentle knowing. Empathy comes with a feeling with it. So uh, so we can under we can know what's going on just by intuiting it. Sometimes we know when somebody's lying because we can intuit it. We just feel it. We just sense that this person is lying and and, and we have to go with that feeling because that's what we feel. That's what we, we've come to trust. So we can have the feelings, but we can also deny intuition. We have the capacity to do that. And I can't even tell you how many clients over the years that I've been working with clients who've come in to say, oh, I knew it. I knew that he was going to cheat on me. I knew it from the day I met him. I knew it. I just didn't let myself pay attention to it. Or I knew that I didn't really love him. I just, you know, I just denied that. I just stayed out of touch with that. Or I knew he was going to be abusive or she was going to be abusive. And I just didn't let myself go there. Um, What they're saying is, I got myself into this relationship even though I knew on some level that it wasn't going to work. And so what they did was deny that intuitive, gentle voice, kind of saying, listen, this is not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And ultimately, they ended up having to break up because guess what? It didn't work. Um, and so intuitive, intuition can be denied, but we, we can learn to trust it. We can trust it because we, uh, we, we go with it and we see its results. So I, I encourage people to play with their intuition, to just kind of, even things like a phone call, just try to intuit who's on the phone when they call. And when you're right, chalk that up as, yeah, that was good intuition. When you're wrong, just laugh at yourself and move on to the next thing. Um, you might uh, go out to dinner with a friend and intuit what they're going to talk to you about that night and uh, see if you're right. 
um, if they you, if you've sensed that they're having a particular problem that they'd like to talk to you about, uh, then your you your intuition was on target. So just sort of use those as examples for how you might begin to play with your intuition so that you can learn to trust it. And the more you trust it, the more it can help you with these relationships, both personal and professional, because you can use your intuition to tell you what's really going on between you and another person. Um, uh, discernment is another one, and we're going to talk some more about discernment uh, as we go today, but I want to define discernment for you at first. Discernment is observation. That's both observation of the external and observation of the internal simultaneously. So I see what you're doing, and I also see how I feel about what you're doing at the same time. And that's discernment. So it, what discernment is saying is, not only do I see you, I'm observing you, I'm paying attention to what you're doing, but I also recognize how that might uh, uh, impact my value system or how that might make me feel or how that might, uh, you know, be something that I don't respect or do respect. Um, so that so that what I'm doing is using my discernment to help me know who you are. One of the things that Maya Angelou says uh, that I really love is, is when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And I really like that because I think it just clearly and simply says if somebody is... is showing you through observation that they're going to do X, Y, and Z, that they're going to devalue your value system or dismiss your emotions or put you down in some ways or emotionally abuse you or think of you as less than, then that's who they are. They've shown you who they are. That's it. That's all you need to know. And you can then decide what you're going to do about that relationship. On the other hand, if they show you respect and uh, unconditionality to their uh, feelings for you or they show you that they can uh, listen and that they can own their own stuff and that they don't have to project it onto you and that they know how to say I'm sorry and, and take responsibility for their own behavior, if they can show you those kind of things, well, then that's who they are. And you can begin to trust that. So we have to be shown who someone is. And they don't just tell us. They show us. And that's why discernment is so important, because it observes what they're showing us. And when they show us, then we can go, okay, now I see. But we have to also see what's going on inside of us at the same time, because what's going on inside of us is going to help us know how, how what they do, how they treat us makes us feel. And that's really important to relationship of any kind, both professional and personal. And we're going to talk some more about those kind of relationships and how discernment impacts those relationships right after the break. So stay tuned for more right after this. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
Life is complicated and sometimes we all need a little help, but don't have the time for a full hour-long session or don't know who to turn to. That's where BetterHelp comes into play. With BetterHelp, I can get matched with one of over 2,500 licensed and approved counselors and therapists and get help anytime, anywhere, totally private. For a flat weekly fee starting at $35, I can connect with my counselor via text, chat, video conference, or phone, which is great for me because I'm always on the go. And I can go back to previous sessions whenever I want through my secure account from anywhere in the world. It's a great feeling to know that help is there, affordable, private, and convenient to my schedule. We can all use a little help. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash empowerment and register for free. Try it for seven days without being charged on your credit card and get matched with a licensed counselor usually within 24 hours. Get BetterHelp today at betterhelp.com forward slash empowerment. The human body has different levels of interaction and communications, both at an energetic and informational level. Understand the healing potential and the intelligence hidden within these communications when you tune in to Human Potential and Life Force with Dr. Sun. Are health conditions preventing you from achieving effective potential? Can Life Force, also known as Qi, help your quality of life, relationships, and creativity? Find the answers every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about letting go of good, dispel the myth of goodness to find your genuine self. The book is out. It came out yesterday, and we're real excited about it. So you can go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or any of your uh, internet outlets, or to any of your brick-and-mortar outlets to order to or to order or purchase the book off the shelf. And uh, and I hope that you will it will be really helpful to you in the process. And today what we're talking about is how you might really begin to dispel that myth through the process of integration, uh, I mean, di- differentiation and integration that occurs as a process of reading the book. And um, But before we go any further with that, I want to talk to you about Super Soul Sunday coming up August the 13th at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN, the Oprah Winfrey Network. This week it's going to be a repeat again. Um, it's coming out again uh, very soon on an, in a new form, again in August. I believe it's the following weekend that will come out um, as a new show again. But this will be a repeat. It will be one of the better retre- repeats in that Ayala Van Zant is coming on to talk about learning how to trust. So... You want to be there for that. Learning how to trust is one of the things I talk about in the book and, and something that she knows a great deal about as well. So uh, learning how to trust. So, all right, we were talking about discernment and how it can help us with our professional and personal relationships. So one of the ways that I encourage people to use discernment in a professional way is, for example, in the for initial interview that you might have with your future boss. If you're uh, hopefully your future boss, if you get the job, um, 
to use the powers of observation and intuition in, together. Use your discernment and your intuition together in your interview to tell you what's really going on. So you go to an interview and the, the, uh, the guy tells you, you know, oh, we're just a big happy family here. But you ask him about his management style and he basically describes an authoritarian management style where it's my way or the highway. Um, and so what you've got there now, you've just discerned the fact and through your observation that he said one thing and then he said something very different. He said, oh, we're just a big happy family here, which indicates that there's a, a, a more uh, a management style that's not necessarily authoritarian but more of a team approach more of an egalitarian approach where um, people are able to bring ideas to the floor and be heard and um, there's an open forum for discussion about ideas and and that um, certainly if somebody's just not being a team player, they might still be fired from that position. But but if they are uh, a team player, then, they're, then that, that's a part of the whole effort. So it's not just one person being the authority, it's all of them working together. Um, and that would be more of a family approach. So, but what the what he's telling you is that he believes two things: one, that family is, uh, is run by authority, and two, that uh, that he's the authority. And now the next question is, how do you feel about that? If you're comfortable in that kind of environment where the authoritarian management style is running things, where it's my way or the highway, then that environment might work well for you. If you're not comfortable with that authoritarian management style and you'd rather be in a more egalitarian management style, more of, the, of what we call the feminine approach to, to uh, management where it's, it's uh, more of a team approach, then this is probably not going to be a good job for you. So you see now you've observed just two simple things that might help you go, well, yeah, this job might not be the one I really want. What people do most of the time when they go into an interview, particularly if they're the good guy identity, is they dismiss their own feelings in favor of taking the job. So in other words, I want this job, I've got to have a job, I need this job, I've got to have a job, so let's just forget everything but getting the job. Let's just get the job. And, and that, that idea is the same we, do, we take with us into dating sometimes, which is, I just want to get married. I just want a person I can be with. I'm tired of being lonely. I just need to be with somebody. So we make this guy or this girl into the person we, we hope they are in our imaginations. In, in other words, instead of seeing who they are, we make up somebody and we put that mask and costume over them and we pretend that that's who they are. And so many times when I've worked with people at, at the end of a relationship and they realize that they've been projecting their own fantasy figure onto this person that they've been married to or been in relationship with for a lengthy period of time, when they realize that, it's like a, a you know, bre- what breaking an egg. It's like, wow, uh, the, the truth comes gushing out, and they just are uh, unable to stop the emotional responses that happen as a re- result of that awareness that all this time, maybe years, maybe 20, 25 years, I've been telling myself that I was married to Mr. Right when really the whole time I was married to Mr. Wrong. I've been telling myself that he was a kind and gentle person when really he was emotionally abusive the whole time. Um, I've been telling myself that he was respectful of me when really 
he demonstrated disrespect for me in many different ways. So we can marry an illusion. We can get in a relationship with an illusion, and discernment is the power to keep us from do, getting involved with illusions, getting involved professionally or personally with illusions. Discernment is that amazing power we have to look at and see reality. We all have that power. We were born with it. But we got taught how to deny that power. We got taught to tell ourselves, oh, I just want this so badly, I don't want to look at reality. And that's where discernment gets just dumped. It gets put away. It gets uh, thrown into the back closets uh, in our um, psychological houses. So we, we don't, we don't let discernment have its power. But authenticity, coming from the genuine self, means we use the powers of the genuine self to guide us. And intuition and discernment, especially when they're used together in unison, are very important. One of the things intuition might pick up from a job uh, interview is something about the character of the person who's interviewing us. So we talked about how discernment might pick up the difference in what they've said, but intuition might also pick up that, in fact, this person uh, doesn't make good eye contact. That's an observation that that discernment can pick up, and then intuition might say um, that, you know, I don't think he's being honest. Intuition might say, oh, there's not honesty here because the person's not making good eye contact. Um, uh, intuition might say that this person is um, not necessarily telling the truth uh, based on how his body language, based on his or her uh, interactive capacity, based on just a feeling you get in your gut that just says, uh-uh, this is not honesty, this, this, something's really wrong here. Um, that feeling is very important to pay attention to. That that's gentle knowing, that gentle certainty that, yes, there's something really wrong here, is very important. But because we want things to go our way, and what we, we tend to want to live in an illusion instead of living in reality. What we really want is the right job. We want the job that fits us like a comfortable shoe. We want the relationship that fits us like a comfortable shoe that's also you know, great, sexy. (laughs) We want a relationship that really does work for us. But we deny ourselves that by getting involved with illusions. And discernment and intuition are meant to help us stay out of illusion and in reality. So if it's Mr. Wrong, we can say it's Mr. Wrong. If it's Miss Right, we can say it's Miss Right. Because we've paid attention to both our discernment and our intuition. So we talked about um, building trust. That's how we build trust. We build trust by paying attention to our own capacities, our own powers. We build trust by being trustworthy to make the right decisions about who people are, who's interacting with us. So if I, if I tell myself the lie to get involved with an illusion, then I can't be trusted uh, to, to operate according to my authenticity. I can't trust me, so how am I ever going to trust you? Um, and, and so the first step in trust is trusting ourselves to be able to operate according to our own authenticity. Once we do that, 
then trusting other people comes as a result because we've seen who they are and now we can trust them to be that who they are um, and and so that's a those uh, intuition and discernment are very important personal powers the next personal power that we don't usually think of as a power but it absolutely is a power is desire now desire I've talked about desire on this program before and um, uh, we um, we, we, we've understood it to be an important element of authenticity, but I want you to see it today as a power, a very important personal power, because it's desire and allowing ourselves to feel our truest desires that gets us what we want in life, that gets us to fulfill our, our fullest potential. A little while ago I said, if there's any purpose in our lives, it's to live and if there's, uh, if we're going to live, if we live into our highest potential, that's that's best of all. That's that's the way to make ourselves truly happy. So, um, our desires can get us that if we listen to our desires. The problem is that the good for the good guy identity, he or she has spent so much time serving, and being there, and pleasing, and trying to trying to take care of other people that they don't even know what they want. I have literally asked people, do you like chocolate ice cream or vanilla? I don't know. Do you like to go to the movies or do you, would you rather go for a hike? I don't know. They don't know because they haven't ever paid attention to their own desires long enough to see that, yes, this is what I want. Now, in getting it close to our desires, it's important for us to be able to discern the difference between a desire and a compulsivity. So a compulsion might look like a desire, but it's not really a desire, it's a compulsion. So if I'm an alcoholic and I need another drink, that's not a desire, that's a compulsion. If I'm compelled to operate out of guilt and I think that I want to go serve somebody else, but really I'm just doing it because I have to, because that's what I've always done, then that's a compulsion, not a desire. So it's important for us to be able to sit with ourselves and what's going on inside of us long enough to listen. And that sitting with is one of the things I talk a great deal about in the, in the book. Sitting with your feelings, sitting with your personal powers, sitting with your intuition, sitting with your uh, discernment, sitting with your desires long enough to suss out what they're really trying to say to us. So that being, uh, being aware of what's going on inside of us is huge in this book. It's huge in d- discovering the genuine self. So... Um, so when we get to desires, we have to make a distinction between uh, a compulsion and a desire. We also need to make a distinction between uh, personal aggrand- aggrandizement and a desire. So um, if I need my ego pumped up and I think that's a desire, so so you offer me this job to be the next CFO in the organization that I've been working for, and um, I haven't stopped to consider whether or not I really want to do the tasks of that job, but I think it's going to, you know, raise the prestige I have, and it's going to get me some more money, and it's going to, you know, make me feel like a big guy, and it's going to make me feel really important, then I might take the job because, and I think it's because I want it, but really I don't want it. I'm just just, just enhancing my sense of my ego, my, my sense that I'm a pretty good fella or, or gal. And uh, so I'm not really paying attention to what I want. I'm paying attention to what will help my ego feel better. So we need to make that distinction as well. 
And also we need to make the distinction between uh, 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 desire and our, our need to um, fix something that got broken in our lives. So, for example, if I um, had a really poverty-stricken childhood, I might feel a great deal of shame about that because I was mocked and bullied for that when I was growing up. And therefore, I want to ne- be the next um, you know, CEO of a big, rich company and earn millions of dollars every year. And I want that really bad. And I'm going to go after that with all of my might. And I'm going to work and work and work and work to make that happen. And then I finally get it. And then once I've got it, I realize that, you know what? I never really wanted this. This was not what I wanted. I just came after this because it was a way of trying to fix the shame I grew up with. Now I can lord it over other people and say, I'm a better person than than you ever thought I would be because I finally made it to the top. I'm a self-made person. Um, so that's not desire either. What is desire is an internal longing that comes from the deepest part of who we are. So most of us have a, a longing for peace. We have a longing for love. We have a longing for uh, a personal space. Those, those are really important things for us to understand and to know, and then we can assert our need to get those things. So when we look, if we really have a need for love, we don't want to get involved with Mr. Wrong or Mr. Miss Wrong. We want to get involved with the person who really can be there in a way that respects who we are and allows us to be who we are and not only allows us but encourages us to be who we are and uh, respects our boundaries and can own their own stuff and you know, all those things I talked about a few minutes ago. So if we want love, we have to choose right. We can't just choose wrong and expect the universe to give us love anyway. It doesn't work that way. We have to be responsible. And paying attention to our desires is a way we can become responsible for that and, and, and allow that to work for us. Um, so this is how we can direct our lives to have a great deal of, of uh, the, what we want and to fulfill our p- potential, which makes us happy. So you see, what we've done is we've gone inside. We've said, I need to go inside myself, and I need to find my feelings, and I need to listen to them. I need to sit with them long enough to let them speak to me. That's what we talked about last in the last show. And today we're talking about the personal powers of discernment and intuition and desire. I need to go within and find those and sit with them long enough to, to, uh, to hear what they're really trying to tell me. So that means taking our time, not rushing, and, and it, means, uh, it means really being present with our internality enough to suss out the meaning. People say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, we do know how to do that. We know what we're feeling. We know what's going on inside of us to, the, to, to some degree. And if we just grab hold of what we do know, it will lead us to things that we don't know. So just paying attention, being present with our emotions. Now, when I say sit with, I don't mean sit down and don't move until something out, till you are absolutely clear on what your desire or your discernment or your intuition is telling you. What I do mean is allow that to speak to you as you walk through your day. Allow it to be present. Allow yourself awareness so that when it comes up, you can say, oh, I see, that's what I really wanted. Um, that's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to tell myself, and it gets clarity. So paying attention uh, as we go through the day is how we do that. 
All right. Well, we'll be back in just a few minutes with some more about this uh, method of integrating and differentiating and integrating so that we can find the genuine self so we no longer have to live in guilt. We'll be right back right after this. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day, every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAE639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save $20 today with coupon code VAE639 at Freshly.com. We all have unique experiences and outlooks when it comes to leadership and team building. Yet sometimes we clash, even when trying to achieve the exact same goals. Check out Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. Your host is Dr. Cass Henry. A shared journey equals success, and every human interaction has the power to achieve this success by working together. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free. 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the book, Letting Go of Good, Dispel the Myth of Goodness to Find Your Genuine Self. As we've said, it's out today, and it came out yesterday, and uh, so we're talking about uh, how you can actually dispel the myth of goodness and how we might actually begin to live from the genuine self. And we've been talking about your personal powers today, the power of intuition, the power of discernment, and the power of your desires to get to bring, to be a sort of an inner guide for you. And before we go any further, I want to read a small segment, just a couple paragraphs here of the book that I think is really, really important you to understand we talk about going inside a lot in this in this radio show and and I want to explain just a little bit about what that means first we have to understand that there is an inner world there is more than just that is more than just a tangled web of emotions and thoughts that no one would ever want to know about there's something powerful and even sacred about the inner world the inner world is a place of wisdom from which we can connect to a guiding hand 
The inner terrain is a region of the living experience that we must become comfortable with and comforted by if we're to begin living in the authentic self. Like an afternoon walk in a cool breeze with our favorite pet calms and soothes us, this walk into the inner terrain can do the same. But like the terrain of Earth, the inner terrain contains a varied topography with all of the inherent challenges of that topography. There are mountains, rivers, streams, forests, jungles, caves, valleys, open fields, deserts, oceans, and more. And like the terrain of Earth, when we explore it, we must learn to use certain tools for certain kinds of terrain. So some of those tools that we're going to talk about are uh, experimenting. One of the one of the best things that we have going for us is a capacity to experiment. And while we're experimenting, we need to keep our intuition, our discernment, and our desires very active and present in our awareness because they're going to tell us what's happening with these experiments. So we can experiment with... Um, with starting small, with little things like your desires, like paying attention on a daily basis with to uh, what it is that you desire in a given moment. Some of us are so busy with the have-tos, the obligations, the ought-tos, the shoulds of our lives that we don't have one minute to spare for our desires. So I say take three times a day on a weekday and take two hours of every uh, Saturday and do only what you desire just for those those periods of time. And what that does is it allows you to experiment with your desires. I think this is what I want, so let me go try that. If that doesn't work and it's not really a true desire, oh, okay, that was out, that wasn't really it. And how am I going to know if it's a true desire? Because I'm going to feel happy when I accomplish it. I'm going to feel fulfilled when I accomplish it. It's going to uh, be what I want to do. Some people say, well, you know, maybe all I want to do is nothing. I've had people say that to me before. Well, maybe what I want to do is just absolutely nothing. I want to just sit around and do nothing. And I say, well, try that. See how it makes you feel. And what happens is very often they're like, that's not what I want at all. I want to be doing, I want to be painting. I want to be writing. I want to be running. I want to be playing basketball. I want to be, you know, they don't really want to just sit around and do nothing. After a while, that gets old. So experimenting is important. Um, Settling down into a moment is another thing that I that uh, we talk about in the book. That What that means is you take a moment of any given day and you just sit in it. You just look around the room and you see what color the walls are and you see the pictures on the wall and you look out the window and you see what's going on out there and you look inside yourself at the same time and you see how this is making you feel. And you put your feet on the floor or you take your, off your shoes and let your socks be on the floor or maybe even your bare feet be on the floor so that you can feel what that feels like under you. If you have a chance, go take a walk in a park. Feel what that feels like. Feel the wind and what that feels like. Instead of using that whole time that you're walking, thinking about what you got to do when you got to get back to the office or, or you know, what's worrying you the most, be present with what's going on. You Be present with your feet as they're walking. Be present with your arms as they're swinging. Be present with your body as it's walking. Be present with the wind that's blowing. Be present. Be present. So that's another way to do it. Asking ourselves. You know, we don't think that we can actually talk to ourselves. And, that you know, it used to be true that people would say, well, you talk to yourself, you must be crazy. But actually, we're talking to ourselves all the time. It's what we say that's the problem. We're, we're putting ourselves down. We're telling ourselves we can't have what we want. We're telling ourselves this or that is going to be impossible. We tell ourselves all kinds of really hostile things uh, all day, every day. And then wonder why we don't feel so good when we get home that night. So 
we're, that we're constantly talking to ourselves. And what I suggest in the book and, and to my clients is that we can ask ourselves for what we want. We can ask ourselves to dream and remember our dreams. So I do that at night. I'll ask myself to have a dream and so that I can remember it. And I will have a dream that night because my mind heard me. And that we, we're not taught that. We're not taught to believe that we can actually have a dialogue with ourselves. We can hear ourselves and we can respond to ourselves. And that's a piece that's in this book that we uh, talk a great deal about, that dialoguing. It's really very important to the process of being able to talk to ourselves, to hear ourselves, and to, t- to respond back. And then respond back to that, and then respond back to that, and then respond back to that, so that we're having a conversation with an aspect of ourselves. Um, sometimes I even recommend people do that in a two-chair. Two-chair is a gestalt technique where you, you write down some aspect of your character and put it in one chair, and you write down another aspect of your character and put it in another chair and get the two talking to each other. You go stand behind the one when it's talking and go stand behind the other when it's talking, and you get a real dialogue going between the two. And what that does is raise your consciousness about an inner conflict or an awareness about what's going on between those two aspects of yourself. Listening is another way to pay attention, to listen to yourself when we're talking. What is it that you're saying to yourself all day, every day? What is your self-talk? What is that? Paying attention to that. Also, uh, to, to listen to your inner world means to pay attention to your emotions, to sit with those, to sit with your discernment, to sit with your desires, to sit with your um, intuition, to pay attention to what's going on inside. Um Movement as a way of listening is another thing. People talk about exercising and how it it soothes them. And so movement can be very important. And there's all kinds of ways of doing that. You can do yoga, which is, has been very westernized to remove from it its, all of its potential for consciousness. But, but uh, we can do yoga and uh, use it in the way it was intended to be used, which is to raise our consciousness. So we're being present with our body movement. But we can use any exercise that way. I don't think we can use team sports that way, but we can use running that way. We can use walking that way. We can use uh, golf that way. And sometimes we can use um, uh, single sports like, you know, um, uh, you know, something like bouncing a wall against a, a ball against a wall to, you know, play with the ball ourselves. We can use um, physical movement, dance. Um, in our homes, we can dance, free dance, to uh, any kind of music at all. And that can sometimes be a very consciousness-raising and very self-soothing as well. So using your body as a part of how you're listening is going to be very important. Working with dream images is another one, and I've talked about that a lot on this show, that we can work with dream images. I don't recommend that you go rush out and buy a, a dream dictionary unless you're going to use it just for ideas. Don't make the assumption that that somebody else's idea of your dream is going to be the definition of what that particular image or metaphor means because uh, nobody else can tell you what your dreams mean but you. Even when you go to a Jungian analyst, for example, they're not going to be able to tell you what your dream means. They might be able to present you with some ideas, some possibilities, but you're going to be the one that goes, oh, yeah, that fits. That resonates with me. That feels true. That's that's when you're going to be able to go, oh, yeah, that's what my dream meant. That's what it was trying to tell me. I get it now. So, uh, so don't let anybody else tell you what your dreams mean, but do try to remember your dreams. Get a tablet or a tape recorder and put it right beside your bed so you can write down or record your dreams 
and um, then go back during the day at some point during the day and and look at some of the images and sort of play with them and, and see what comes up for you, see what sort of resonates for you because that's going to be important to you understanding yourself because you could be talking to yourself through your dreams. And if you're talking to yourself through your dream, you need to be listening because your dreams are telling you what's in your unconscious. And if you can become conscious of, about something that's in your unconscious, that is a glorious thing. That is when we begin to really get down closer and closer to the self, to the authentic self. Because uh, what's in the unconscious very commonly is the authentic self because it's been relegated to the unconscious because we were trying to wear a mask and costume of the good guy identity instead. Um, So it's really important to do that. Mindfulness or just being honest with ourselves. I like the term honesty better than mindfulness. Mindfulness sounds very complex. It sounds like I really need to tune in and really uh, be so uh, mindful that I've shut off other things that are going on inside me. And so a lot of times people get that term confused with what that means. But I like the term honesty because what it says is I'm just going to be honest with me. I'm just going to sit down beside me and I'm going to listen to me and I'm going to do it without judgment. I'm going to do that uh, without judgment. Uh, uh, Krishnamurti said one time that uh, the highest form of intelligence was um, being able to look at ourselves without evaluating. He didn't say it just that way. I just messed up his quote. But but that's basically what he meant, that, that there's a way that we can look at ourselves without judging ourselves that just says, I see me. I see what's going on inside of me. And it's important for us to understand that method because um, that's going to be part of what we'll be doing by sitting with ourselves. We will be not be judging. We'll not be saying, oh, I need to change that about me or I need to fix that about me or that's wrong or that's bad or I shouldn't be feeling that or I shouldn't be thinking that. We're not going to be doing that. We're just going to be sitting with it. We're just going to be present with it. And what that does is uh, it allows it to keep talking so we can hear it, so we can understand ourselves better. This whole idea of judgment is why we became the good guy identity in the first place. We became the good guy identity in the first place because our parents projected onto us an idea that we might be judged if we're not the good guy. And so our parents and our society and our schools and our churches and all kinds of institutions did that. So when we're talking about sitting with, we're not talking about judgment. We're not talking about uh, um, uh, telling ourselves to make ourselves better. People talk all the time about self-improvement. This is not about self-improvement. This is about getting to know a self that's already worthy. This is about getting to know your authentic self. And that is, a, that is the core root essentialness of who you are. And, and uh, so it doesn't lie. It doesn't cheat. It doesn't uh, fool us or sabotage us or criticize us. It just is, is who we are. It is the basic core essence of who we are. Where all that other stuff comes from, that judgment, that criticism, that uh, betrayal, that all of that comes from the role. The mask and costume that says, oh, lie to yourself about this because you need a relationship really bad, so pretend this is it. Or, uh, you know, steal money from them because you're so desperate that this is the only way to have it. Or, you know, even all the things that we do that we think are so bad that, uh, that we would judge ourselves for 
are actually coming from some kind of fear inside of us, some kind of fear of lack or fear that we won't have or fear that somebody's shaming us or fear of something. And so we do all kinds of misdeeds out of that fear, but we call it badness, and, we, and we, then we judge ourselves for doing it. So instead, what we need to do is just be sitting with the self so that we can hear it, so we can dialogue with it, so that we can just be present enough to know what's going on inside of us, and then we can take responsibility for it. If we have one of those big old fears that's trying to get us to do some misdeed, then we can say, oh, okay, I'm going to be responsible for that fear, and I'm going to comfort it, I'm going to soothe it, I'm going to talk to it, I'm going to dialogue with it until it feels more like it's okay. And then what I've done is I've parented that childlike part of myself that's afraid. So this, this whole process of letting go of good helps us to hold on to genuineness, and that's the whole point of when I let go of good, what's that? what else is in there? What else is in there besides just the, the idea that I have to be a good person, and if I'm not a good person, I'm a bad person? What, what else is in there? It's really important for us to understand that. So that's what this book is all about. I hope you'll rush right out to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or your local brick-and-mortar store and get the book and read it and uh, tell me how you feel about it. I'd love to hear from you. All right, so we're going to be back again next week with more from The Authentic Living Show. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week 